episode 88 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Happy holidays, everybody. 30 days left in the Trump administration, 29 days, really, but who's counting? lot to keep an eye on. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I, as citizens, have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are, as a people, not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the battle, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the Commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. So I don't know about you, but I uh, I need a break at the end of the year. I'm still going to do the podcast this week and next week and the week after, obviously. Um, I'm actually going to re-air today my interview with Neera Kandon. I'm, I'm calling this my Biden cabinet special edition. So I'm going to have Neera this week and I'm going to have Ron Klain next week. Both uh, have appeared on this podcast in the last couple of months. So I'm going to have them on just to uh, remind you all that uh, these are great people who are going to be serving this country um, in a way that, uh, you know, for the last four years, I feel we've been very underserved by the president and his administration. And I think these two people that I'm going to have on in the next two weeks, you know, exemplify the exact type of person you want in Washington, smart, driven, you know, focused on data and evidence, uh, not just, you know, driven by owning the libs. So I'm really excited to have uh, those two interviews replayed. Um, they're great people. I'm also re- really excited that they're going to be, you know, in senior positions in the Biden administration. Uh, Neera Tandon will be the director of the Office of Management and Budget, a very important post, probably one of the most important posts, if you ask me. Budget is policy. So I'm really excited to, um, you know, your budget determines your priorities, right? So uh, having her there is going to be great. And then Ron Klain is going to be White House Chief of Staff. Uh, you know, this is this is great. We're, we're really excited about that. So watch for his interview next week and Nira today. But where should I start? I mean, should I start? You know, the, the vaccine has rolled out. We're all excited about it. Congress is getting the vaccine, including Republicans who have been pretending that this has been a hoax for the last year. Republicans that have been flouting mask mandates and social distancing and whatever else the doctor said, oh, no, no, get me right in line to get that vaccine. Uh, I mean, just another blatant example of the hypocrisy of the Republican Party, which is why, you know, it, it's amazing to me that it even exists anymore, let alone gets, you know, 48 percent of Americans to support it. Uh, but I'm happy that it's out. I, I wish that more would be made of of people like Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio and and really these these despicable House members who who know better, you know, a lot of them, you see them out there and we try to pretend they're dumb. 
uh, most of them, not all of them, are not that dumb. Uh, you got to have a certain level of sophistication to make it to the House of Representatives, although there are some exceptions to that rule. But, you know, they they all flouted the rules. And now, you know, Congress is getting the vaccine. I believe in the continuation of government. I believe you need to vaccinate the Congress. The vice president got the vaccine. The president yet has get it has yet to get it. Uh, interesting. Um, but uh, I, I do wish more would be made about the hypocrisy and more questions would be asked of these members of the House of Representatives, particularly and the Senate, for that matter, like the, you know, Senator Johnson and others like that you know, calling for the liberation of Michigan, you know, come on out, have the question asked, well, why do you feel it's important to get this vaccine if it was a hoax this entire year? If this was something we shouldn't have been taking too much of a, you know, we, we shouldn't have been taking these steps to prevent, but you're the first in line to get the vaccine. You know, let's ask the question. Uh, let's point out the hypocrisy whenever we could point out the hypocrisy, because there's a lot of it to go around in the Republican Party. And uh, watching them get the vaccine, the last couple of days has just made my skin crawl. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to jump through the TV and I'm also torn, right? I, I do want to see the continuation of government. I don't want to see Congress shut down uh, because of the virus ever again. And, and vaccinating the House and the Senate is a good way to prevent that from happening. But at the same time, you know, please, you're a bunch of hypocrites and, and you shouldn't even get this vaccine. But OK, whatever, we'll we'll live with it. We'll move on. We'll live to fight another day um, in this country. Uh, but it's out. It's, you know, it's the big bright light at the end of the tunnel, but it's going to be a long, dark tunnel. We see that light. I see it at the end of the tunnel. It's far away right now. Uh, but I truly believe by June, we're going to be in a much better place in this country. We just got to hold on uh, for six more months, America, six more months uh, of, of fear and, and uh, a dangerous situation for a lot of people. So, you know, Christmas is coming up. This podcast is coming out on Christmas week. And um, some of you might be listening to it on Christmas morning. I hope you're not listening to it as you're driving to your 65-plus-year-old relative's house uh, after having gone to the bakery, and now you're going to give them COVID-19. Uh, I'm not saying don't go to the bakery. Support your baker. I'm going. Um Keep a mask on, but, you know, traveling, seeing family. I'm upset about it. I'm not going to see my family this year. It's just going to be me, my wife, and my daughter, daughters. Um, it is, it's going to be a very small gathering, um, but it is, this is it. This is the last of it, right? I, I think that by the 4th of July in this country, we're going to have a huge celebration. Uh, you know, we might still need to wear masks. Um, which is going to be an issue because, you know, these right wing nuts are going to say Biden's trying to control us. Um, but I think that we're going to be in a much better place by the 4th of July uh, where we won't have to experience lockdowns or uh, even limitations on on what we do. I think by the summer, um, once we once we vaccinate 200 million Americans, Joe, Joe Biden says he wants to vaccinate 100 million Americans in his first 100 days. Um, you know, that's something gets that done, and then the second 100 days inoculates another 100 million, I think that we're, we're going to be in a good shape, good place in this country. So um, hold on. Don't be the last person to die of this. Don't be the last person to transmit it to somebody that they love. Hold on. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I could see it. So I, I start on a hopeful note because it is Christmas week. Uh, I, I, you know, I celebrate Christmas. For those of you who don't celebrate Christmas, happy uh, Festivus for the rest of us. Uh, Kwanzaa. Uh, Hanukkah had just passed. 
Uh, and if you don't celebrate anything at all, I hope you have a good, peaceful end of the year. Um, but uh, I start on a hopeful note. I'll end on a hopeful note, hopefully, tonight. But let me talk about some darkness in this country, too. Um, reports are uh, are coming out that the president has been meeting with Michael Flynn uh, and uh, Sidney Powell, who they call the Kraken, uh, talking about perhaps instituting martial law to redo the election in states that Trump lost, four key states that Trump lost, um, seizing voting, executive orders to seize voting machines. The president digging himself deeper and deeper into this you know, web of, of nonsense, treasonous activity thoughts. Uh, you know, look, first of all, it's sedition at, the, at, the, at best, what these people are talking about. Sidney Powell, uh, Mike Flynn. Mike Flynn was a, uh, a general in the United States Army, and he is calling for the military to run elections in four key states in this country. Um, I'm sorry. That's treason. What he is doing right now, what Mike Flynn has said and suggested is treason. And if the president acts on Mike Flynn's suggestions, he will have committed treason. And there is a prescribed penalty for treason in the Constitution. And again, I don't believe in that penalty, but it is a deadly thing. And what they are talking about right now is unfathomable. I mean, so unfathomable that even Pat Robinson who I, you know, before before I, you know, before Donald Trump came on the scene, my radio career, I spent a lot of time making fun of Pat Robertson. Lots of fun of him. But even Pat Robertson over the weekend said, you know, Trump lost, it's over, you had your chance, it's done, move on. Uh, when you lost Pat Robertson, Mr. President, you probably need to start packing. So I, I do I think that the president is going to try to commit to declare martial law. I don't know. I do know he denied it on Twitter. And I do know that the Trump MO has been to deny that those conversations even happened, then say, oh, what's so bad about it? Then say, yeah. Right? So we're already at the denial phase. I'm waiting for him to say and others around him to start saying, what's so bad about martial law to redo an election that I lost? When that happens, we know where we're going. And it is up to every single American to stand up and shout, shout out against it, fight back against it. This is not a time for, you know, weak need responses and Republican lawmakers being allowed to say, I didn't see the tweet. I didn't hear the statement. No, if the president starts going down the path, he normally goes down where he starts saying, well, what's wrong with it? Everybody needs to tell him what's wrong with it. And those who do not tell him what wrong, what's wrong with it, you know, who are in a position of power in this country are seditious, plain and simple. And, and those who are assisting with it are assisting in treason. And they should be tried for treason. It is just that simple. Um, it, it, is, it is nonsense. I, and, I, and you all know, I, I said this last week. I'll say it again. I had been one of those people who said it's not worth uh, prosecuting Donald Trump. Uh, after he leaves office. But the more he tries to plant the seeds of doubt in our electoral process in this country with with a good portion of this country who still support him, the more he does that, the more I think, you know what, this guy is hell-bent on destroying this country for his own personal, really his own personal ego, because it doesn't appear to me that he's interested in the job of being president. I mean, we have a cyber attack from the Soviet Union, Russia, sorry, from Russia, that this man has basically said, oh, well, it's no big deal, no big deal, right? We have a, 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 a pandemic 
that's killing 25 to 3,000 people a day, 2,500 to 3,000 people a day. What's the president? When's the last time the president talked about it? He's had one cabinet meeting since May. He wants to be president. That I mean, he's fighting because it's it's really about his ego. He he doesn't want to lose the presidency. He doesn't really want to be president. And yet here we are, right? We're in this vicious cycle at the end of the year, 30 days, 29 days until this guy's out of office. Thank God. Hallelujah. Um, You know, a lot of bad things could happen in the next 29 days, and we all need to be on guard for that. But watch for the president to say what's so wrong with redoing the election or martial law. Those words, when those words start coming out of his mouth, we know that the stories, which I believe are true to begin with, quite frankly, Mike Flynn was on Newsmax basically saying that, right? And now Mike Flynn and Sidney Powell have been regular visitors to the White House over the last couple of days. So we know that these conversations really happened. They're denying it because the press on it's been so bad. And some Republicans, some Republicans have stood up against it. Not a lot. Some. Um, I think every single one of them have to stand up. They have to be counted. They have to be asked. Um, It's up to the media to ask them and they can't let them. Oh, I haven't heard the president said that. I, I didn't read the Washington. No, we all know. You do know. You get the clips. You've seen it. You know what's going on. You don't get to say you didn't see it. You know, I'm tired of that. And, you know, the same people, you know, my neck, my guest I have here near a tandem, the same people who are saying, well, she had some mean tweets during the Trump years about Republicans, all very accurate tweets about the Republicans, I might add. Uh, you know, they're all talking about mean tweets near a tandem had, you know, during the Trump years. And they're telling me with a straight face that they have not heard what the president has said. Now, I'm not letting them get away with that. I don't think you should let them get away with it either. Uh, they, when they, when the president is talking about martial law, when there's seditious behavior going on within the Republican Party, and these guys are going to say they didn't see it, they didn't hear it, but yet, you know, they could pull out a near Tandon tweet from 2017 and try to hold up her nomination to be director of the Office of Management and Budget. Give me a break, you fat, lying hypocrites. I'm not taking any of that. I'm not taking any of that, and neither should you. And neither should the press. If the press isn't holding them to account to it, every time they say, especially Marco Rubio, who's the one who brought up Nero Tannen's tweet. Marco Rubio ever says to me again, he didn't see the president's tweet. I mean, I know he's only been president for 29 days. He, or, or even when he's not president, he, if, he, if he refuses to comment on Donald Trump, you just, just shout in his face, man, you pulled out an obscure tweet from Nero Tannen from 2019 or 2017. You don't even follow her on Twitter. So you're telling me that you didn't see Donald Trump's um, you didn't see Donald Trump's tweet? Give me a break. It's nonsense. Don't let them get away with it. Don't let them get away with it. I know I won't. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> that's a lot of that's a lot of talking. So uh, I've got this interview with Nira. It's from uh, earlier in the year. It's actually um, right when COVID started. So, um, you know, it uh, the editing is a little rough. I gotten better at it since then. Uh, so, uh, you know, please ignore my editing, but, uh, I think you're going to like this interview and then I'll be back to wrap up the show. Happy holidays, America. Nira Tandon, who I've admired her entire career from her days in the Clinton White House to her days as Hillary Clinton's, uh, legislative director, worked in the Obama administration, and of course, she is now the president of the Center for American Progress. Mira, how are you holding up through this crisis? 
You know, I'm pretty good, I have to say. Very busy, but pretty good. I'm very, I feel lucky and safe, so... Uh, how are you holding up? I, I feel extremely lucky. Turns out I'm antisocial and I really like walking my dog. So uh, I've been okay <laughs> throughout this whole thing. My dog, I think, is about to, you know, she's like between myself, my wife, my kids, everybody's walking her. She's getting walked like more than she's ever uh, been walked. <laughs> but of course, you know, here in New York, we've got a lot of friends who, who've lost people, family members. I am fortunate that none of my family has died through this. So I'm pretty happy. My dad had it. Uh, he recovered from oh, it. Thank man. God. Uh, Thank God. But uh, and a few of my friends have had it and they have recovered. But I think we're all doing you know, we're all doing our best here. I mean, we're trying to do our best to keep our fellow citizens safe. The person who I think is not trying to do his best is the president of the United States. And you and I both worked for high powered elected officials in our career. Have you ever seen one of your former bosses go to a press briefing with a scientist and not know what that scientist was going to say and start asking stupid (laughs) questions during it? I mean, I've never experienced anything like we experience on a minute by minute, day by day basis with Donald Trump. So, I, I mean, I would go really much farther, which is I have the great privilege of working with Hillary Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. And I could just say with each one of those people, uh, if they got a presidential briefing about a pandemic or if they read the newspaper. Right. <laughs> on a pandemic watch tv or, you know watch tv about a pandemic they and about a pandemic really anywhere in the world each one of those people would know that the time to prepare the country was that minute right. and you know the real tragedy of this is that the president um, I, I sometimes just have a hard time saying that, but yeah, me too. I Donald throw up Trump, a little sometimes when I say it. It's bad. <laughs> I know Donald Trump has uh, he makes mistakes constantly, but his most grievous error was just wasting so much time. And the challenge of the pandemic is that you you can never really catch up to it. It moves so quickly. I mean, the the issue with this virus, which is unique and a kind of unique. Uh, danger is that it transmits so quickly into so many people when you're asymptomatic, which is, uh, which is a, you know, just a profoundly difficult problem to solve for and takes leadership doing everything right. Now we do see that in other countries. South Korea has hundreds of deaths while we have 60,000 deaths. And we have the same first day of a first case, known case anyway, we should say at this point. Yes. And, you know, they, they put in, um, they operationalized a plan immediately to contain the virus. And instead, our president, and I, I'm personally convinced that it's because he didn't want to spook the markets and hurt his yeah. re-election, yeah. but he he ignored the virus. And, you know, the virus will never be ignored. That is the, that is a lesson of history, which is the virus will, you know, it's it's greater, that has a power greater than, any border, any, any, any wishful thinking. And so it takes, you know, it takes a lot of coordination and intelligence to deal with it. And we of course have neither of those in the president of the United States. And he doesn't seem to, to want to listen to reason half the time. I, you wrote an excellent article, you and the center, I guess a lot of people, the center, uh, were part of this article about how we would, the steps we would have to take Mm -hmm. to reopen. And now you're seeing what's going on in some of these States around the country, uh, which, you know, when you juxtapose that to what you wrote, which was very rational and reasonable and somewhat even al- in alignment with some of the CDC guidelines, what mm-hmm. do you make of what you're seeing across the country and, and these decisions being made? 
Well, we wrote a report on how to reopen. And at the heart of our report about how to reopen is really how to fight the virus. Because our view is the best way to reopen safely, uh, and really the only way to reopen safely is to get to a place where you can contain the virus. So I'll just say briefly what that plan is. That plan is uh, large-scale testing and testing of Uh, everyone who is sick, but also testing people who aren't sick, testing in parts of the state or community where you don't see sickness. So you know the sickness is not there because, again, people can be asymptomatic for quite a while. Um, Contact tracing, both digital and human contact tracing, traditional tracing, which is just going to people who have tested positive and finding out who they've spoken to, who they've dealt with recently, so you can inform them that they might be sick. And then, you know, really critically is uh, ensuring that you're isolating sick people. Right. Now, states are in different paths. New York, New Jersey. I'm serving on the New Jersey recovery I plan. I noticed that. Good for you. Um, and uh, but New York, New Jersey have uh, are thinking through exactly how you implement a plan like tracing, isolating, and testing, and testing at the levels you need to to basically identify health, you know, who has been sick and where the virus really is, they're doing the right thing because yeah. they know that you can't open the economy unless people's public health is protected. And right. then on the other side of this, you have the extremes, uh, which are essentially ordered reopenings that put people's health in jeopardy. Yeah. I mean, what's happening in these states like Iowa's are mandating a reopening. And then if a company, what they're also saying is if you don't come back to work, you could be fired. You right. know, you're not unemployed. You're fired if you just choose not to come back to work for health reasons. Now, the problem of that is that they're not guaranteeing testing to people. So you could <laughs> go back to work sick. You know, you're basically saying to people that, uh, you have to choose between not just your own health, but protecting other people's health. And I just, I, I can't imagine a worse position. I hope that people will be lucky. I hope that we're in a, you know, the virus isn't spreading or that it's contained just on its own because of social distancing. But I'm, you know, deeply, deeply worried that basically these states are consigning their citizens to sickness and in some cases death it's just it's so tragic and so stupid (laughs) i just i i i mean i i can't i mean to me this so represents basically the the hoovervilles during the great depression you know it's like the idea that your public policy response to a great recession was going to uh, the great depression was going to be like stopping spending so you Focus on deficits. I mean, that's terrible. But the idea that during a pandemic, you're you're not going to guarantee people's safety or give them the ba- most basic modicums. Think about this. Employers could require people to work and not even give them masks. There's right. no requirement. No requirement. And, Those meatpacking and, plants he ordered opening because I guess he's worried he's not going to be able to get a cheeseburger. Um, no safety restrictions for those poor workers. They're going to be working tight quarters. It's nonsense. And also, I mean, insanely, I mean, what's incredibly insane, the Republicans want to ensure that they are, you know, basically protected from liability. What does that mean? They can't be sued. Okay, so you're a company and you can't be sued. You don't even, you know, you have meatpackers working closely together and you don't give them masks. 
and you can't be sued. So I get sick because I'm eating the meat that you, you like some sick person package. It's insane. And you're and you're protected from liability. Now, by, I, by now, the way, by the, by the way, there's a 15 percent drop off in meat production in the United States, but we export about 30 percent of the meat we produce. I don't understand this whole supply chain fear thing that's been put out there. It makes no sense to me at all. And and just to state this out loud, if you have an outbreak that actually affects consumers, people will stop eating the meat if they find out right. that you could get sick eating the meat. I mean, the, one of the reasons why we have regulations is so that you can actually have markets work effectively. Right. I mean, when I heard this, when I heard this executive order, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to buy meat for my family at this point. Because I'm very concerned that it's going to it's be insane. Un- All it's right. going to be. Uh, Hold sorry. that thought. I got to take a quick break, pay a few bills, and I'll be right back with the president of the Center of American Progress, Neera Tandon. We were talking about the food supply and the safety issue. I, you know, I, I think you agree with me. I don't think the American people are going to be willing to step over dead bodies to go to the mall anytime. Yeah. Soon. You know, I don't know what the I, president exactly. You know, I don't know. What I, he's- I, I really I agree. Like, I think the real problem is consumers, the public are going to have great anxieties about, you know, you still have 70, 80 percent of Americans who want to have stay at home orders. Right. So, I mean, and the real the the thing that's just so enraging about this, I'm sorry, is. When, you know, we, the, the virus doesn't respect state borders. So when Georgia decides to mishandle the situation, right, they have increasing numbers of positive cases still. Right. The virus is everywhere still. They re, quote unquote, reopen and they have another outbreak. It's just going to take us longer right. and longer to deal with this And virus. I think they're going to mess around with the testing. And the only way you're going to know about the outbreak is that the hospitals are going to be overrun. And and that's right. the scary or you, part. Or now we're finding out that we have deaths at extraordinarily high numbers. Yeah. Multiple places and people died from the virus and it, they never even got tested. So right. you, no one even knew. It's a disaster. I mean, it's really uh, just uh, it's amazing that, you know, this is a guy who actually ran on making great America great again. Yeah. When, it's like destroyed. we will have the worst response in the world. To I the virus. think that barring a miracle, he's done now. I, I know I'm not saying that we should just, you know, sit back and relax because he'll try to steal it. But I think mm-hmm. barring a miracle, he's done. He's going to lose states we're not even thinking about right now because people are going to emerge from their homes and they're going to see the carnage that is here and realize that this man has no plan or ability or skills. Now, I know you're more pessimistic than I am. I've, I've watched your commentary and you were one of the only people who were right in 2016. Um, but, you know, what's your thought about how we get out of this politically with him? So, you know, I, I fundamentally believe elections are actually about an argument and a case you can make. And and I I do think that the Trump argument, the Trump case, is is basically getting destroyed. His his best argument before the election, I mean before the virus, I'm sorry, was that, you know, I might be chaotic and kind of uh uh you know, difficult and divisive, but the economy is great. And think of how much better, you know, your life is way better than it was four years ago. So I think that central argument has obviously been destroyed. And, and let's just be honest, 
I mean, people are actually paying a lot of attention to the news and yep. they're not impervious to events. And the truth is he, his, his president's basic job is to keep the country safe and secure. Yep. And at the end of this pandemic, people will be able to look around the world and the United States will have at least one of the worst responses to the virus, yeah. if not literally the worst. I mean, we are in the middle of a death spike and New Zealand crushed the virus. South Korea basically was able to crush the virus. Right. They have, had, they they have, had no new cases today. Yeah, they have 200. <laughs> their, their deaths are in the hundreds. Ours right. in the, are in the tens of thousands. Right, right. And, you know, they live pretty close together. In fact, they're, they're much closer together as a country than the United States And much is. closer and, to China and, and all the <laughs> traffic that's going in and out of China where it started. I know. And, you know, what's just, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I know Italy happened first, but we may well be, may well have the highest per capita death rate. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, I just think that the, you know, it's really hard to argue. He will try to destroy Joe Biden. I don't think it's going to matter. That is a tactic. But I, I, I think, I mean, I, I fundamentally think it's just like, what is he running on? Right. Peace and prosperity or like everything's the better. The economy I mean, before January 30th. I mean, give me a break. I mean, he's, I, I. I have said this before. People disagree with me. I don't think that he can do that. I think the American people, I think elections are about how people feel. Do they feel optimistic mm -hmm. about the direction of the country or not? And it's going to be hard to spin it this time. You are, you know, two, four years ago, he said, ah, oh, the economy's in shambles when it was actually doing really well. And he spun it. And people said, yeah, you know what? I could be doing better. It's going to be really hard for him to say things are good. It's going to be really hard for him to blame anybody else. The buck stops with the president of the United States. He could try to destroy Joe Biden all he wants. I know they're out there trying to do that right now. I think Joe Biden is not as relevant to this election as people would like him to be. He, I think, the, yeah, I, you know, I, I actually agree. I mean, I think this is. I think the truth is this should be about the incumbent. Yeah. I mean, the incumbent will make it want want to make it a choice, just like Obama made it a choice. But you know, that's that's a choice we can all make, yeah. which is fundamentally we can make this about Trump now. You know, I do. I feel the need to caveat at all times that the that the Republicans have asymmetric assets. Yep. Right. I mean, money. <laughs> they they have a lot of money. They also I mean, the rules gerrymandering, them, the gerrymandering, but really also Facebook and the way it's allowing politicians to lie and yeah. use lie in ads. I mean, these are dangerous asymmetric weapons. Disinformation is a dangerous asymmetric weapon. The intervention of other countries is a dangerous asymmetric weapon. So, I mean, my basic take is that the playing field can is tilted against you, yep. against Democrats and progressives, and we have to recognize that i do and, and address it um so you know you have to be prepared for fighting for every place but I, in a rational world yeah well, I, a, I think a, i think the, go the, ahead. the problem is you know protecting the vote right making sure people can right. vote that's the biggest issue right here i, I think it's going to be a wave year one way or the other if he somehow has a miracle and the country's doing great in november then he'll probably get reelected easily but if things are where we are right now or worse he's mm -hmm. done and it's going to be a tidal wave wiping them all away, assuming people are allowed to vote. Yeah. So I think this is a really important issue, which is I think you're already seeing some in some ways Republican senators separating themselves yeah. from Trump. 
So, I mean, but the entire apparatus of the right and the Republican Party are going to be very focused on doing what they've done over the last 10 years, which is to change the rules around voting so that they maintain power. Yep. And so that's why I think it is so central that we ensure that there's sufficient funds for states and that states have mail-in ballots as an alternative. Because if you think, I mean, just think about what happened in Wisconsin. They had no problem threatening people's public health in order to didn't work out for them though the way they wanted it. (laughs) Absolutely. And I actually do think that it did create a backlash. Yeah. So that might mitigate a little bit of their attempts, but that just means they won't be out in the open about well, not it. Only They'll that, try to remember, be. The people most likely to be afraid of this virus are the people also most likely to vote Republican. So yeah, you want, older voters. You want to get But those- at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, they were like consistently sending out a message that only old people get the virus. So like maybe we should open the economy because those yeah. people are going to die it's anywhere. Amazing. I mean, it's amazing to me how... Uh, you know, like what they're willing to say out loud. Well, honestly. look, it's amazing to me how quickly this went by. I've been waiting to get you on my show for a year. <laughs> I'll come on again. I'll come I on hope again. you this will. So uh, Neera Tandon, president of the Center for American Progress. Follow her on Twitter. I do. You're the person I most retweet, and you're not following me, so you got to follow me. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to follow you right at now. At Christopher Hahn. Neera Tandon, thanks for joining me. I'll be right back. All right, I hope you uh, enjoyed that replay of the Nero Tandon interview. If you like that one, you're going to love Ron Klein next week. Um, really good guests. Editing not as great. I've gotten better at it, but uh, hope you enjoyed it. And, you know, I hope that uh, however you celebrate this week, um, even if you don't celebrate at all, I hope that you have some time with people you care about, even if it's virtual. And I hope you have some time to reflect on the year. I know that, you know, the period, my birthday is a week before Christmas. Um, I'm a December baby. And then we have the two weeks before the new year. And it's a very reflective uh, part of the year for me. I used to get really depressed. I don't really get depressed anymore at the end of the year. It wasn't so much depressed as if I would, I would be looking inward and I would reevaluate everything in my life and, I'd make a plan and then on New Year's Eve, I would set my goals for the next year and the year would end and I would start the year fresh. It was kind of like a process that I went through at the end of the year. I guess people thought I was depressed. I wasn't depressed. I was just kind of introspective. It's kind of how I um, planned, really. It was just like a planning process because it's a great time of year. I mean, I'm fortunate you know, I always hated having a birthday near Christmas because I would get a lot of, oh, this is your Christmas and your birthday present. Meanwhile, you know, my sister would be getting, <laughs> my sisters and brother would get similar amounts of presents for Christmas uh, and I would have a birthday which really didn't get any gifts. Uh, now that I'm not reliant on people giving me gifts to have things that I love, is the, the discussion we have every year, um, you know, it, it, it's not as big of a deal. And it actually, you know, since I, started going through this process, which was really, you know, right when I got out of college. Um, it's actually been pretty good because it ge- it's, a, it's a time of the year when things tend to slow down, although it doesn't seem to be that way this year. Um, it's a time when people slow down, take a break, and you have the time to go through your own planning and go through your own emotions and did I like doing this? Did I not like doing that? Um, what would I do better or different? What do I want to do in the following year? 
how can I improve upon successes I had? How can I fix mistakes I made uh, in the prior year? So I, I would do that, and it's a very inward-looking process. And um, it did come across to my wife and others around me as me being depressed, but I wasn't really depressed. I just was on edge. Uh, and uh, that's changed since I've had children. It's kind of harder to be that way um, around your kids. It's, you know, your kids don't care that you're planning your future. <laughs> they want your attention, and it's hard to not be happy uh, when you're around your family like that. So, uh, but I will be like I do every year, giving some thought to the to the year that passed. And this was by anyone's you know estimation the weirdest year of my life. And I'm sure for most of you you could probably have a similar uh, reaction. Um, you know, it was a damper uh, on a lot of things, but it is what it is. We got through it, thank God. And um, I'll think about the year and what I did wrong and what I did right, try to build on what I did right, try to fix what I did wrong, make the plan for 2021, which I hope involves me at some point, uh, at least by like, September going to the movies or something, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be, uh, I, look again, it's going to be the tale of two years. I think that the first half of this year is going to be more of what we've lived through, but the second half of this year is going to be great 2021. So let's just get to that. Let's get to that together. Let's, let's encourage everybody that we know to get to that together. Uh, and, and I know that, uh, we'll be happy when we get there. Uh, and it'll be a cause for celebration across this country like we've never had before. So, uh, you know, listening to Nira and I've gone back. I listened to the Ron Klain in- interview. It's, you know, we're it, the, the, the caliber of people we're putting into these positions with the president. Um, it's amazing to me. And it's day and night over what we have. And we're fortunate that people like Nira still want to serve. Knowing the hour, I mean, like the fact that Marco Rubio talked about her tweets, you know, I mean, we talked about that already today. I mean, but but that's the kind of nonsense she's going to have to deal with. This is a very accomplished woman who will do great things for this country. And we should be happy that she wants to come back to government. We should be thrilled about that. We shouldn't be looking through her Twitter history to try to find out, oh, she was mean to Marco Rubio. You know who else was mean to Marco Rubio? The president of the United States, who you pretend you don't read his tweets. You remember the nickname he gave you, Little Marco? Anyway, I don't want to go back down that rabbit hole because we're we're nearing the end of this podcast. And uh, you guys are probably men and women. I should I gotta stop saying guys. Uh, you know, you're probably in your car uh, on your on your way to pick up your apple pie. And uh, I don't want to damper that. So um, I think I'll just end it here. And I'll remind you, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there. And I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Happy holidays. And thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.